0: So listen, if you listen to nothing else, listen to this. You're always going to be afraid. (laughs) Even if you learn to hide it. Fear is like... a companion. A constant companion, always there. But that's okay. Because fear can bring us together.
1: Fear can bring you home. I'm going to leave you something just so you'll always remember. Fear makes companions of us all. Back to Who and Company. I'm Brent.
0: And I'm Drew. Today, on the last day of May, Good Omens, which features a number of Doctor Who alums, including David Tennant, drops on Amazon Prime. What better day to drop this,
1: our May episode featuring the director of Good Omens. Director Douglas McKinnon took some time out of his busy schedule to talk to Drew about what it was like to direct an entire series and a bit about his time on Doctor Who. Unfortunately, due to a death in the family, I did not have a chance to join, but if you hang around after the interview, Drew and I will have a little wrap-up. The first few minutes was lost due to
0: my technical ineptitude, so we joined the interview just after I asked Douglas about reading
1: Good Omens for the first time. And that's coming up right after this. All we needed to do was let us count that go and he'd have forgotten us. But you attacked him, you declared war. I'm one of us and you harm us all. It's the ancient Martian code. You hear that? Skaldak is sent out a distress call. You will bring down the fires of hell just for laying a glove on him.
0: Unless you talk to it.
1: There'll be anyone who can. No, out of the question. We're not losing you. I'll do it. What? You can talk to it through me. I won't talk to you, you're, you're an enemy soldier now How would he know that? A soldier knows another soldier, he'll smell it on you, smell it on you a mile off He wouldn't smell it on you, Doctor? Just let me in there before it's too late, it can't be you or any of your men Well, it can't be you <laughs> Well, there really is only one choice, isn't there? I don't
2: smell of anything, to my knowledge. So I've, I haven't actually read it. I haven't been able to find it. Um, but, but you know, the connections with Neil and Terry's work and Douglas Adams, I mean, they're, they're all branches of the same tree as far as I'm concerned. So um, that, 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 that that was very interesting. And I basically went to a shop, and a bookshop in a Vancouver called McLeod's, which I was attracted to, A, because it was a Scottish name, but also because it, it looked like an old-fashioned bookshop uh in, in you know in a fairly modern city and in, indeed I got good omens in there, I got the book in there and then uh we we've, we've based the entire design of the, the book the bookshop in the series, which Aziraphale has, played by Michael Shane, on that bookshop. So uh, I I I like things to be kind of organic in the way that it work and uh it seemed as good a place as any to start, really. I, I, I have a copy of the book that I think is one of Neil Gaiman's favorite copies of the book, which is quite a thing because it, I carried it with me from that point forwards all the way to. I mean, it's actually sitting beside me on the table right now, um, and it, it's extremely tattered and it's got notes all over it and it's got uh, post its and drawings and everything. And I, I I I started by taking it around Vancouver and reading it on my sort of time off from filming, um, also. Playing Queen songs in my head as well, <laughs> uh, well, on, on my on my on my phone, and a. Uh, I mean, I was I was a Queen fan from um, uh, Queen Two. I, I, I I'm such a Queen fan. I, I, I had all their albums when there were only two of them, <laughs> you know. So right, right, right. Uh, and and so Queen being part of it all was 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 you know part of my journey into good omens, and a uh, that. that that sort of month or two that I was kind of on my own in Vancouver, just studying Good Omens, the book, and the scripts was kind of the, the, the building blocks for what, what we were about to embark on.
0: Now, Queen has reached, uh, like, it seems like a third golden age at this time, thanks to yes. Bohemian Rhapsody. Were you aware that that project was coming out when you started this one, or is this just a really happy coincidence?
2: Uh, we, we, we were very aware of it, and indeed, um, I think Queen were a little bit worried initially that uh, we, we might step on the toes of, of the film, um, or vice versa. Do you know what I mean? That there might be a, mm-hmm. a, a, a sort of weird cultural, you know, uh, model up. So, uh, But then when they discovered that we were actually going to come out, you know, this year rather than last year, then they kind of... Uh, Went in with us, and, and we've got an amazing soundtrack of Queen songs, including Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, right. uh, and, and but but Queen didn't know at that point when they when when they signed with us, they obviously didn't know at that point that Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, was going to become such a huge hit. Um, so that's a that was a very useful thing for us, because uh, a whole new generation of of uh, people now know and love Queen.
0: A couple of years back, you did Nightfall, where you did the majority of the directing, or if not all the directing. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. I did six okay. episodes out of the ten in series one, yeah.
0: And then, so, is this the second time where you've gotten a chance to direct all or the majority of a project?
2: Uh, it, it, as, as, as you and your listeners will know, it's really rare for a director to do all six episodes of a series. Um, and it's the first time I've done a complete six-parter. six, six parter. Um and Nightfall kind of fell to me partly because we had a a, a, a fire on the set uh, halfway through filming the series, and the way the solution was 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 for me to step in and do the last four episodes of of that. And and I I remember stepping off the set on the last day saying, "I'm never going to direct six episodes of a series again." <laughs> And two months later, Good Omens came in and uh, in my first conversation with Neil Gaiman, I, I said, I think I should direct them all. And he said, so do I. And uh, it was probably the cleverest and stupidest thing to say at the same time, because <laughs> 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 it really has taken over my life for the last two and a half years. And uh, But it's been a joy and the collaboration with Neil has just been uh, fantastic on all counts. We, we, we've had a great time together.
0: He seems like a... a- cool individual to to get to know um as far as the the directorial choices and i know we keep on coming back to good omens here but um were Mm. you approached for this do you have to apply we've had a lot of guests on the program but you're the first director and so this is a world in which i know very little about so
2: well it sort of works um in the way that most businesses work that, that it's there's a bit of, um, I know of somebody who could do this from somebody else, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, or and, and there's a bit of agents pushing as well. Uh, but generally speaking, I I seem to get work through connections from things I've done before. And I, I guess there's two two big ones that uh, are very appropriate for this show, uh, one of which is Doctor Who. We had a, um, a quite a few producer alumni from Doctor Who on Good Omens, including Phil Collinson and a... A Tracy Simpson, who's a very important figure in the current sort of round of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. so so Neil had become aware of me through Doctor Who, and obviously he, he's done it as well. He's he's written a couple of episodes. Um, but the other thing is that um, and it's it's sort of a weird one that that Neil had watched Jekyll, the the Steven Moffat series that I, I did years ago, uh, and <coughs> he alleges that he'd marked me down as a director for something or other in the future of his at that point because tonally. Jekyll was similarly complex, and that the, a lot, a lot of the shows that I do share this that they they, they have comedy and and a uh, horror and violence and multiple genres all acting together in the same space. And do uh, you know what I mean? Sherlock has the same thing. Doctor oh, Who is the same thing. Yeah. And 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 so I th- I think it was it was Jekyll and my Doctor Who background, and then he saw Sherlock, uh, and uh, I think and th- and then we we start talking and um. There was all sorts of other connections that are kind of weirder ones, that um, he, 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 which aren't really to do with work, but are fun. Which One of which is that he married Amanda Palmer, Palmer uh, and discovered that she actually had the name McKinnon in her name. And oh. wherever he got married, he was asked if he'd wanted to add a name to his name. And he, he had chosen McKinnon way before I was anywhere in his orbit. So he was, he's actually a McKinnon as well. It's, 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 his full name is Neil McKinnon. Uh, game in there, so <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff that just seem to push us together in a in a very omen, omens like way. Um, and and listen, the biggest thing was when we talked, we just got on like like a house of fire. Uh, all our references are, are the same, or similar. You know, we 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 talked about Paul and Pressburger. We talked about Doctor Who, obviously. We talked about Douglas Adams and Monty Python, and so on and so on. And we just clicked, and we just sort of what what the way it really works is. You, you can, an agent can get you into a room for a production, possibly. Do you know what I mean? But right. really, it's it's got the people have got to get on with each other because it's too hard to not to do it just because of somebody's amazing awards or reputation or whatever you know uh, they bring. Um, although those might be indicators, but 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 really, I, I I think I got this job because all my other work uh, before it kind of trained me up to do good omens. Uh, and when you see it, I think you might understand it that even more uh, because it's such a it's such a hodgepodge of um tone and pace and and uh, so on that and yet you can see it's part of the lineage that that, that um that includes sherlock and jekyll and doctor who and dirt gently and even outlander you know as we know outlander is a doctor who based um <laughs> a series yeah. as well in, in yeah. the end yeah, so, it's true so 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 uh, but you know most trails in my life lead back to Doctor Who, one way or another. You know, that, that's and I'm very happy for that.
0: Uh, when speaking of Doctor Who, how did you get started watching Doctor Who? When did that become a part of your life?
2: Um, I, I, it's, it's deep in the murky past, but it was. Uh, I, I was born and brought up on the Isle of Skye in the Hebrides in Scotland, and we only had a. Uh, I mean, I was seventeen, eighteen before we had more than one black and white channel, which was BBC One. Um, so I grew and, and no cinema on the Island really. Um, so <coughs> I, I really grew up with BBC one only. And that means that my first memories of Dr. Who are like everybody's in, in the UK. It, it was Saturday night and it was, it was on. And I think the first series that I really, it really sort of whacked me across the face as something that was different was when the Ottons arrived with the terror of the Ottons and so on. And, but I, I'm aware of, I, I remember, um, I certainly remember John Pertwee and Tom Baker, but go go a little bit back. I'm not You know how you've got that thing in your memory. You're not sure whether you actually remember it or whether you you, you want to remember it so much that you've placed it there. (laughs) You you know, and and so I'm not exactly sure whether I really did see, um, you you know, the the first two doctors in action. I'm not sure, but I think I did, but you know, but I mean, I was six when we got television in the first place. So I can't, I can't have seen it starting. um, That's for sure. Um, Because, I, I was born in 1961, so I can't. It was 67, 68 when we got their first television. Um, so, so uh, it bit through that, and then re- really, my love of science fiction was that and Star Trek. And then um, when I discovered, um, um, and a spoiler coming up, when I discovered Santa Claus didn't exist, um, and that I could I could actually ask for stuff. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, the, the the first thing I remember uh, really clearly the first thing I asked for my mother for was a, a pile of science fiction books and that Christmas day the Julie and she was an English history teacher and there was a pile of, of about fifteen books and it was Asimov and Arthur C Clarke etc etc you know the usual ones um, right. and and then after that I I remember going off on holidays down to the, the borders of Scotland and we d- we didn't get DC or Marvel comics and, and, and on the Isle of Skye but they did in the place my grandparents lived, so the first thing I did when I arrived would arrive was run out to the, the news agent and get anything they had on the on their you know their shelves I would just spend all i'd be saving money for months and then <laughs> spend it all on those magazines uh, and and that, that was just you know uh, what you can hear is there's a common thread here it's science fiction really that that's that's yeah. the line I was following and then that that kind of followed on into I, I started to do photography at school and I, I still I couldn't tell you when I first started thinking about directing properly, but I, I started black and white photography entranced me, and then you know it was was it was it 1982? Et came out, I think it was, with the, and, yeah. and I was just, I was at college in Glasgow at that point, and I remember going along to C.E.T. on its opening night in Glasgow, and um, um, in those days uh, they, they'd have four screenings a day. Um, right. so I, I went that first night and then the following day I went four times Whoa. and and the following day another four times and, and the following day another four times I went 13 times in a row and um, I think I think I, looking back I just recognized it as something that was so close to my heart and what I wanted to be and do and where I wanted to end up if I could you know and I think I think that the, the, over these three or four, four days of immersion in, in uh, ET I I sort of I think I probably became a director in that time. <laughs> you know, I probably you know just thought this is it, this is what I want to do because uh, you know it it felt like by the end of those that by, by the end of that immersion I kind of felt like I I, I didn't know how to do um ET, but I sort of thought I knew the questions that I'd have to and what I needed to learn, if that makes sense. Right. And there's a lot of stuff to learn, you know, which I still haven't um still haven't got there. Um you know, in good in good omens there's there's a little E. T. tribute in there. Um there's 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 a lot actually I was talking to Neil Gaiman about this uh, a few weeks ago and and we've got a lot of Easter eggs from a lot of shows. <laughs> we've got there's a lot of Doctor Who Easter eggs, you know, one of which is the very obvious one that we've got a Doctor Who in it, uh, as in David Tennant. Um but there's a lot a lot of um uh, Jack Whitehall who plays Newt, he's got a Tom Baker tie on. You know, stripe like a striped scarf tie. Oh, we've cool. got we've got a lot of number plate action going with uh, Doctor Who, um, which which is a little bit cryptic, but people can enjoy that. Uh, we've got a, an absolutely direct a uh, moment where Crowley, his he, uh, David Tennant's character, is wondering where where in the universe he's going to go, and let's just say Gelfrey is around <laughs> <laughs> as an option. You know, and, uh, people are gonna it's, they're gonna people are gonna have have to work really hard at some of these references. You know, um, there's Sherlock references in that we have a couple, of, a couple of locations that are exactly the same place as we shot in for my, my Sherlock. And there's also another one, a location that is at the heart of um, the, the story of when Sherlock and Watson first met. And mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you what that is because I just want people to see if they can find it um, in the world. Uh, I've got nightfall little things going on as well, and I've got family things going on, and hopefully, in amongst all that, we've got a lot. Mostly, got a lot of Good Omens things going on.
0: Looking forward to uh, potential director's commentary for for this, where you can start that, that. putting together all those ideas and, and yeah. letting people people know. Um, so, from ET to actually directing your first. Uh, project did you go to school for that is that something that you
2: yes at at that time i was uh, at at photography college in glasgow um and the the first little film that i made um was actually um a a completely and it's 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 completely disappeared luckily because i stole it from the you know the the little short stories at the back of their marvel and dc comics the the sort of two-pager things yeah, I still, yeah. I, stole one from that and and just made made that in Glasgow, um, and it's completely disappeared. But but then I, um, I then went on to the National Film and Television School in London, uh, which is uh, a, a fantastic school. It's the best film school in the world, in my opinion, still is. And uh, that was where I started to um, I, my, my theory, my Spielbergian sort of journey. <laughs> my theory has always been that you know the stories of spielberg grew up in the shadow of the studios and you know he would go in at lunch times and wander around and, and there's a famous meeting with john ford that's mentioned it's all sort of stuff so my, my my upbringing uh gave me nothing of that you know as i said the nearest cinema was 120 miles away uh the um i had to go i had to travel 120 miles to go and see jaws and uh I, so I always figured my lo- my logic has always been that Spielberg has about thirty years on me <laughs> because of that, <laughs> which gives me comfort every time something I, I really want and I don't get somehow because I just feel like, you know I'm really going to catch up with Steve, Steven Spielberg around about 105 years old. That's that's going to be fine. So I've got a lot of time. I've got a lot of time left. You know so. <laughs> um, but, but 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 really, my my film education proper started at the film school, and we we you know we had a, an extraordinary um, guy there called Colin Young, who was the director of the film school, who a um, uh, sort of looked after us all. And we, we you know with the the National Film School uh, has got alumni all over the world in all bits of the industry, and a uh, it, it was really formative. And and then I came back to Scotland, and then I sort of broke into series television uh making a short gaelic film gaelic language film back on the middle of the sky and started doing cop shows and just doing series stuff uh and, and did and really was really happy directing you know um a pr- pretty big prestigious series in terms of the uk but then um I, the, the next big thing i did was was make my so far single feature film flying scotsman and that in turn um was a moment where uh, I I need to get back into television because it it was it was success and failure in different sort of ways but the, the 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 I remember the thing that it got me was a whole set of amazing stories to tell which is when I went in and met Stephen Moffat and Hartwood and Sue Virtue and Beryl Virtue and uh, to talk about doing Jekyll um, and uh, around that time Stephen was mulling over. Two or three things, and and what emerged from Jekyll uh, was that he he was eventually asked to take over from Russell uh, at Doctor Who, but in the same moment, i I, I was actually going to I, I was actually booked to go and do some Torchweed episodes, and um, a uh, Stephen saw uh, the first episode of Jekyll and he, he said what, what he just asked casually what, what was it because I didn't know him before this job uh, what was I doing next and I said I think I'm going to do Torchwood and he said you shouldn't be doing Torchwood do you want to do Doctor Who <laughs> and me- remember he's not he's not the showrunner at this point and I said of course I would I'd love to hear you know <laughs> and uh, he he got on the line to Russell T Davis, and I had actually worked with Russell before years before on Russell's first ever show uh, for grown-up television called The Grand, mm-hmm. uh, so so we'd known each other, but we'd sort of lost. Uh, you know, we'd just gone in different paths. Sure. Um But but uh, and, and, and I'd gone off to do my film, and that took two or three years and everything. While he was beginning Doctor Who properly and everything. So, uh, but he happily said, "Yeah, come and do a couple then if you want to." I, I, I said, I'm, "I'm already on the train. I'm coming to Cardiff." You know, <laughs> so. So that 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 was my first two, which of course was with David Tennant, who um, is in is one of our, my two leads in Good, Good Omens, and David and I got on like a, like like a house in fire, and said we'll we'll work together sometime in the future, which it turns out we have, so that's great as well. Um, and and going to Doctor Who really was. I, I remember my first day on set with a with David Tennant um, on the first day on the TARDIS with David Tennant, and I was just standing there just pondering how funny life is, <laughs> you know. And he came up and he put his arm around my shoulder and said, you're feeling what we've all felt. You're feeling that you're actually eight, right. eight years old, uh, but you have to do a grown-up job today. He said, I'd start with a wide shot. <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I took his advice very happily and uh, um, off we went. And uh, yeah, and, and uh, I sort of haven't looked back. And, that, you know, so J- J- Jekyll, I would say, was... Um, a life ch- changing sort of job, uh, you know, not least because uh, it was working with Stephen and the Hartswood gang, who also uh, make Sherlock, as you know, um, right. and and it's kind of a the, the Doctor Who Sherlock family um, continues, and you know, we're we're all part of a a group of people that um, are very privileged in what we do and 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 love what we do, um, and it's the storytelling and the type of Conversations we want to have with the audience that, that that we all share,
0: and you do such a good job of it. Uh, going back and just kind of looking through the episodes of the various programs uh, that that you have taken part in, uh, they're so good. You know, like I, I I don't feel like prior to my joining fandom of Doctor Who, I don't think I ever really paid attention to television directors. Um, yeah, and as sort of we're expected to go, oh, well, this is a uh, Douglas McKinnon episode. So like paying attention, um, I have such a great appreciation for it because early on, um, for me, television was just television. I didn't have television growing up. I'm sort of like you. I didn't get it until I was probably about eight years old. And so it wasn't a part of my upbringing as much as films were. And so films were the things where you have directors and films were the things where you pay attention to who wrote the script the scripts and the screenplays of it but it's not until fairly recently where i had to take a critical eye and, and watch and learn and understand who is behind it and why that makes a difference in the story
2: yeah i mean i, I i'd say it's very much like the the, the, the parallels with the development of film uh, of, of movies through this you know from the teens to the 20s 30s 40s mm-hmm. Where you start to see where where the the volume of films that are being made is so incredible compared to now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the parallel I'm trying to make is that um, you, you, the, the the great films that we remember from the 20s, 30s, and 40s are are, are the few rather than the norm. And right. and generally speaking, it's because the storytelling from the writing primarily, and then the directing and just the whole production team uh, and the actors as well it, it, it stand out. And and what what happened. You know, there's a reason John Ford worked with the same people again and again. There's a reason Billy Wilder worked with Marvel Monroe again and again. It's because they and she and, and everybody else fitted their tone and and they knew what to do and they they built the skills. I think with television, it was for so long the spectacle of just having a box in the corner that actually had moving things in it was enough. You know, like just like at the beginning of film. And I think I think the the, the event. You know, we can we can go on and talk a bit more about the the merging of film and, te- and telly in, in a minute or two, but I think the same things happened with television uh, and particularly with American television and the, ob- the ob- obvious sort of bursting through the streaming services is that whereas American directors generally speaking, um, and th- these are generalizations uh, and there's, there's always exceptions, but what, what American tel- television directors have done up until not that long ago was do coverage and they would go in and shoot a scene with three or four cameras and just, you know, when, when they were doing Ironside or Starsky and Hutch, it would just be, it, they would do an episode in eight days and it would just be rattled out. And, you know, some great stuff come out at that time, you know. Uh, but 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 now, as, as the two kind of, if you like, two separate industries have merged, the role of the director, uh, and lots of other departments as well, has changed. And um, a hybrid um, uh, project like, Um, Good Omens, and hybrid by by which I mean, it's BBC Studios making it for Amazon Uh, would never have happened, you know, even 10 years ago um, because, you know, there wasn't a place for uh, the the thing to happen, you know, whereas now with the internet, with Amazon and Netflix and so on and so on, Um, there is a place for these things to happen and actually it makes financial sense as well and so the the battle for for the viewers and the quality uh, projects you know, started by uh, Netflix and, and so on, and you know Netflix doing House of Cards with David Fincher directing and Kevin Spacey, you know, when he, you know, um, in the thick of it, and so on and so on. That 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 was an incredibly brave thing that they did, but it worked, and and from that seed, that you know, you can trace good omens right back to that moment. Right. When they committed to to make it. so so in a, in a way, television directors haven't had a chance for all these years because they were working to a schedule and a budget and a, and, a, and restrictions that were so cramping that just getting away with doing you know getting through a day and getting the actors in front of the camera and getting through the lines a couple of times was was kind of what was happening. But now it's different now and now now we've got a bit more time, a lot more money in certain cases, but but also people's storytelling is is a incredibly uh, improved in terms of directors and writers and, and we've, we've now got a whole, whole generations like Stephen Moffat and Russell C. Davis and Chris Chirnall who, who have grown up with television and and get it, you know, and so you've got directors like me, hopefully who also get it and get and get how to tell stories in this medium and, you know, as, as the merge continues um, the television sets have got bigger in all our rooms and you know, sitting at home with a 55 inch telly um, in in the dark with your with your popcorn that you made on your, your stove it's not that different from going to a cinema, is it? I mean, it's, it's, and sometimes it's a lot better <laughs> because you don't have a hundred kids screaming at every moment and people having crisps. So, so, and, you know, so, so it's kind of, so I, I think as, as screens merge into one thing or another and screens become kind of, kind of simpler and more throwaway in people's lives, you know, I'm sitting here and I've got, Television not on. I've got a, a laptop. I've got my phone. I've got a you know every, you know we're surrounded by screens now, aren't we? So, <coughs> but but what you still get is is, is, is terrible television, ter- terrible ter- television drama. I'm sure I could find stuff that I've done that's terrible as well. but that, but, but it's the volume of it all. The 400 series that are made and a, come out of Hollywood every year. That means surely there's going to be two or three that are good, you know. But people sort of forget all the ones that don't quite work, you know, where people's endeavours have ended up with something that didn't quite work. So, sorry, that's a long answer to a question about directing. But.
0: No, it's great. Um, I, I definitely want to talk more about TV because that is exactly what we talk about on this podcast, right? It's when we bring someone on who we know through Doctor Who, but what ideally what we're we're discussing is what are you watching? What do you like watching? Uh, And I agree wholeheartedly to be that I could, I would have to create a list if I wanted to catch up with all the films that were in the theater. If I wanted to be up to date, uh, I would have to really work hard and know that I have to go at least twice a week and I'd have to spend this much. And now I maybe go to a movie once a month because they're just not putting them out as much as they used to. But I am so woefully behind on television stuff that yeah, yeah. said this is must see tv and it's not the the weekly sitcoms but but these huge sprawling epics or these um great dramas and there's so many streaming networks that are putting out such quality programming that there there's no way for me to watch everything we're we are absolutely in a golden age or perhaps a second golden age of television
2: um, yes we are although i i, I refer you to um uh, Kenaro Reeves did a a, a a splendid documentary about uh, about technology. Uh, I can't remember; it must be about six or seven years ago. And they had um, David Lynch on it, and uh, he, he he said this very very Lynchian sanguine thing. He sort of said everybody keeps on talking about how um, you, you you've got a camera on your phone and you can just go out and make a movie anytime you want uh, because the technology has become so accessible, and and it, it, of course, that's true, and it's, it's even truer now than it was a few years ago. Uh, but his point was, he, he sort of said, uh, the most accessible technology for storytelling in the world is a, a, a piece of paper and a pencil, and yet great novels don't come out every year. Mm-hmm. You know. So, so my point is that the, the the volume of books and the volume of television series doesn't mean to say that great stuff will get made. It only gets made because uh, people like Stephen Moffat and and so on. Uh, stand up and go. This is what I want to do, and I want, this is the way I want to do it. And the money, at the moment, is agreeing with them, you know, and saying, "Yeah, no, we want that as well." You know, which, which is fantastic. And that, that's that's the golden age is, is 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 certainly here, but it's born out of uh, it making money for people. I, 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 it's funny sometimes people in television talk about this being like a gold rush time for television, and I far prefer the idea that actually um, it's it's more like um, A land grab time, and and the land that all the you know Netflix and Amazon and everything else, the land a sleepy meadow somewhere in California, you know that's got a a lake and an eagle soaring above it, and it's a perfect little you know paradise, is actually the talent, and that's that's where Neil Gaiman and Stephen Moffat and everybody, and they're just waiting for for all these guys to come and, and knock on their door saying, can we have some of what you've got? And they can't supply everybody, but they can supply some, and thankfully. You know, I can't wait to see Dracula, for instance, which Stephen and Marcus are doing. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Um, I can't wait to see the next thing that Jen McCurio does. And we've just, in the UK, I don't know if you have it there yet, but we've just started getting Russell T. Davis' new series years and years. And it's just an amazing show. It's a beautiful, lyrical family drama that is just so beautiful and and, uh, beautifully made and made with... Russell Hart, and it's part science fiction, part family saga, and it's just and only Russell could do it, and it's just wonderful that he's now allowed to do that, mm-hmm. and that's that's because you know the world wants his stuff now, just like Neil, you know uh, Neil Gaiman. I think I think it'd be fair to say that he was a superstar in a niche for many years, um, and but now the world wants what Neil has, and I think that's fantastic. And and you know a lifetime's work is is now being recognised as being valuable in a in a different way and 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 the books will still always be there but but now we get American Gods and we're you know you know lots of other projects are coming down the tracks you know which is very exciting as well
0: and there's so much back catalogue to Neil's stuff uh, his work yeah. that, that if they say, hey, listen we want to remake Anansi Boys or we want to go in and and do a, another Neverwhere or let's finally do a TV series of Sandman. There's a there's a lot to to mine for that.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that that Neil and I have felt about making Good Omens is that we weren't actually making a television series. That what we were doing we we, we were making a six hour movie. Right. Um, and we've made it like that, and we've made the story feel like that. And um a and, and one of the things that has been announced that I, I'm I'm really fond of as a little indicator is that the Edinburgh Film Festival, which is the old, the, the oldest film festival in the world um is going to show the series as as a one hour as in 6 hour in 2 3 hour blocks at, at the film festival this year which i find i mean i love it just because it's my home my, my capital city in scotland but i also love the idea that we're going to have a binge watch in a cinema you know <laughs> that we're going that we're going to show it as a film as a complete thing and people are going to sit and watch in a in a in a in their largest cinema, um, the whole series in one big go. Well, two bits, but you know, in one day. Uh, and I think that's that's a very interesting. You know, who knows whether it's the first of many, but it, even if it's just one, it's an interesting crossover, isn't it? it you know, that uh, that people actually want to do that. And and before before now, uh, the Sherlock that I made, the Abominable Bride, and the the Christmas special uh, of Doctor Who that I did, the Husbands of River Song, uh, they both had. Um, box office lives. Uh, uh, to The Doctor Who one, one went out in uh, for a day or something, and it was in selected territories. Um, but the Sherlock one went out in uh, China, and it made $24 million in China <laughs> as a film. Um, and, and I love the idea. I, I mean, I, I, I can't see any reason why, for instance, uh, with a show like Doctor Who, why um, cinemas can't be showing... At the same moment as it's going out on television, showing a weekly episode of Doctor Who. Now, wouldn't you, you know? We're, we're both Doctor Who fans. Wouldn't you trundle along to a cinema if it was showing an episode and, and watch it in a group of fans?
0: Absolutely. Um...
2: On a Saturday, a Saturday or a Sunday evening, and it was or Sunday morning with you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if if, 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 if it, at, at sort of a two o'clock on Sunday for ten or twelve weeks, yeah, you could go along to your local cinema. And watch Doctor Who go out live, but but because of the quality of the imagery and the music and this, you know everything, you could watch it in the cinema. I, I I think there'd be a market for that as well as carrying on in its traditional way on television. I, I mean, I, th- I think the things are merging, and uh, I, it's one thing that I'm, I'm not like Spielberg on, which is that I, I, I think the merging has ha- has happened, and as far as the minds of, of young people are concerned, and um, you you, you can fight for these the prestige of having a cinema and cinema releases and everything. But really, um, you know, uh, kids aren't bothered about where they watch things anymore. Are they? You know?
0: no. I mean, I'm not, they're, a, they're really it's not been a long time since I've been a kid, but I work with them every day and, and it seems that they're, they're happy to watch it anywhere.
2: Um, well, I've, I've, I've got two of them and 14 and and 20 and, uh, they'll happily watch stuff on their phone, on their, you know, on their computer or, or they'll go to the cinema, you know, we all went out to, to see Guardians of the Galaxy a few weeks ago and you know and we'll go and see the, the late star wars, but it's kind of an event moment rather than um, a common thing um and, and, and I just think that's the real world now and it's you you can fight it and hold back try and hold back the tide, but the tide's in you <laughs> know, it's gone mm-hmm. and i, I don't think, I don't think we should be despondent because I think there are still enough people who want to see stuff in cinema, that if there's a market for them for that, and that carries on. I remember there was a time when everybody thought the books were going to go because computers had arrived, you know. <laughs> well, look at books now, you know, and look at what Amazon have done with books. You know, it's there, There's more books in our lives now than at any other point in history. And and that's because of the internet. It's not against it. And I think there are going to be more films. I mean, look at Roma. Look at how amazing that film is. Could that have got made 15 years ago? I mean, it's an art, art house blockbuster, isn't it? It is. Um, right. I, I, I don't think it could have got I don't think they'd have got they probably would have made it, but you know, made it for two million dollars. Do you know what I mean? They would have made it a different thing.
0: Right. And but it, they wouldn't it, have made no that thing. Have seen you'd have an art it. film. Yeah. It would be considered an art film. It would have been a niche thing and and unless you if it wasn't for the internet, you wouldn't have been able to find it. You'd have to hunt down well, I'm this assuming that you still have video stores somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down yeah. some back corner on on uh, the clerk's recommendation. Back in, like like we did yeah. in the good old days, right? So.
2: Well, you you probably have to order it in. Right. <laughs> you probably right, have sure. to go. To block, you'd have to go to Blockbusters and say, "Could can you look it up?" And the guy would look up a you know a, a vast catalog and say, "Yeah, no, it's here. You can get it in two weeks." You know, right. so I I I just think you know there's pluses and minuses, but you know for 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 me, and you know as I've already said, somebody who's brought up with a. a, a Black and white, four or five lines television as its you know main thing. I'm amazed every time I switch on the telly. You know, I'm sort of like, i uh, that that it works and it's colour and you can see it. You know, and and um, I still I still get, get shocks when I see old episodes of Star Trek that are actually in colour now because uh, I remember them in black and white. You know? <laughs> so, when you saw
0: yeah. uh, Terror of the Autons, did you see it in black and white when it uh, when it first came out? Yeah. Yeah. All
2: right. Yes, completely. Yeah, yeah. And my sister actually, um, who's older than me. Coincidentally, cause she, she's 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 never has been a doctor. fan. Um, she uh, got herself a new chair, and it was it was a, a blow up black plastic chair. And I could tell I could tell you I never sat in it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so.
0: um, do you do you still actively watch television? I mean, you have you've had a very busy two oh, years. Sure. So um, have you been able to keep up with uh, what print? I, 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 I I, I,
2: I love watching television uh, I, and, and and when I'm filming, it tends to go away from me completely. But, but but that's why I love catch up so much because you can, you know, in in post-production and, you know, in the months that I'm in just now, which is after something's finished and before I start whatever next, um, I can binge watch stuff and I, I love catching up. And I think my favourite things in the last few months that I've seen are Succession and a... Russian Doll, I think, as well. That's amazing. And Russell's new series uh, is uh, just—I've only seen one episode of it, and it's sensational. Um, You know, and I I, I, I did a show called Line of Duty, which um, has got bigger and bigger in the UK and is starting to spread around the world. And I did the first two series of it, or or partly, and it's it's lovely seeing shows that you—you know—you helped, you were there at the beginning with, um, carrying on. Just like Doctor Who, you know, I, 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 Jodie Whittaker's series is the first Doctor Who series in a long, long time that I haven't been involved with at all. And um, I, I, and so I, it, it was such a delight to be able to just watch it without knowing any of the storylines or anything that was coming up and just enjoy just watching again after about seven or eight years of knowing everything that was coming up in Doctor Who every season, um, which is a privilege in itself. But um Hey, so, so that, that, that that's great fun. No, I love I love watching television, and I I love watching politics at the moment as well in in the UK, which is a bit of a uh, interesting time for us.
0: The act yeah. of being engaged in understanding of what's happening in the world, I can I can see that. But there's very little news that I seem to be excited about these days, um, which is one of the reasons I think I enjoy television so much, is it gives me an escape yeah. from sort of the the horrors of what else I'm seeing. Um, so a lot of the shows that you've mentioned, those are shows that we can find on streaming. Um, is there appointment television that you try to to see, or is it always going to be something like, don't worry, it's going to be online, I'll be able uh, to access it?
2: Well, yeah, most, mostly on the same as everybody. Uh, it'll be online, but we, 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 we call it watching live in our house. So we'll watch Doctor Who live right. uh, if I'm at home, and... A series like Line of Duty, there, there, there. There's people. It's very often people that I've worked with. Uh, will just want to see what they're doing as it's happening. And, um, but, but no, I think I think we're fairly normal television viewers, uh, in, in that we mix and match. And then, you know, we'll sit down and say, "Well, what, what's on tonight?" And there's nothing, so you 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 reach for Netflix or Amazon, and uh, there's usually something there to give a go at, you know. And um, i I'm I'm pretty uh, intolerant in the way that. Uh, if something's not working for me. I'll 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 start huffing and puffing, and it won't survive uh, an episode or two. Um, and that's the way I make television. I make television to try and hook people in from the the moment they start watching. Uh, I, and I think that you know we all experience, apart from our favourite shows, like you know Doctor Who. In this case, um, we don't we don't uh, let them off with very much, do we anymore? You know, you you really need to be engaged in the first five or ten minutes and then if, if you're there you'll probably stay for two episodes and then if you're not there you'll give up because we, we none of us have time to yeah, watch 22 episodes of something that we're not hooked into completely
0: we have a three you know what I mean? so, in our house um and I, I, right. I most of my television watching with my wife and if she and i are not hooked within three episodes we drop the show and sometimes we'll never come back to it sometimes people yeah. will say no 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 no." you just ignore that first season and jump in at season two um, which seems very alien and, and odd, but occasionally that's that's correct. But you... yeah, that,
2: well, that only works for Doctor Who completely. But when a new Doctor arrives, <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the only thing.
0: Well, the other thing is, you and I are both obviously we we seem to have some similar tastes. Uh, our fandoms are, in some ways, very spoiler phobic, and, and in other ways, people love jumping on social media and spoiling it. So uh, things like Doctor Who, and uh, for instance, if it's current, Game of Thrones. I have to watch it the the night it comes out. It has to be appointment television, because otherwise I don't get the experience that I, I would have, because if I want to be a part of a community like fandom, uh, I either have to watch it with them, or accept the fact that I'm not going to be surprised by certain aspects, because social media... Well,
2: you can't... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't not watch something live, and then be, be fed up with spoilers, I think. Because... uh, and and most of us can't switch off social media that easily anymore at all and I I, I just think you have to shrug your shoulders a bit if you don't see it going out live Mm -hmm. and and, uh, I I don't get upset with people I mean Good Omens has been a pleasure to work on partly because there are no spoilers because the book's been out for 30 years so it's kind of it's spoiled you know (laughs) there is a document that anybody can look up in seconds and get the whole story if they want it you know so and that's what we've done with Good Omens is we've we've tried uh, To make the book, and then added a plus on. We've added some new sections onto it that are, you know, new treats for the fans. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how people react to it.
0: Yeah, agreed. And that's one of the things that I'm working for. It's like uh, uh, looking forward to seeing is the not just the interpretation because you have one of the authors directly there working with you. Uh, So anything that you do is in itself canon. But to be able to see how it's interpreted after. Yeah, thirty. Thirty is it? Thirty years?
2: Yeah, it's about it's about eighty nine, I think it was, or ninety that it came out in different countries depending on where you are. Um, but you know, it's interesting. What your, your your point about Neil being present? And he was present for about three quarters of the time. And he's certainly, you know, he's the showrunner, sure and he was there for again about three quarters of the time in post production as well. Um, that. Um, it, it it might be canon, but it also changes because in, interpretation means that the story changes. And one of the great things about Neil is that he was very open to understanding why something had to change. And so, for instance, you know, there's things like um, to state a broad one when, when when you're taking a book like Good Omens, um, the, the the voice of the book is uh, in the book is mingled in with a uh, God speaking, and and uh, and we change that into one voice. Mm-hmm. Just the, just the voice of God, and uh, we got Frances McDormand to be the voice of God, which is, is not a bad bit of casting, I think. You know, good. and <clears throat> it's pretty good, and and she's amazing, and that and that brought coherence to it. So that's quite a big change, and it, it also means that that God can tell us things that from the book that nobody else can. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in the series, um, so we've got a vehicle to, you know, a way of interpreting the world for for, for the audience that don't know the book, and, and you know, you you make a thing. Partly for for a fan base that's already there, but also you have to make a thing for for the vast majority of people. Even though the book sold five million copies, we're, we're hoping that a lot more than that will watch the series. So we've got to we've got to deal with both both groups. Um, deal with the fact they already you know you know uh, existing fans of Good Omens, but also you know soak another you know however, however many hundreds of millions of people that might watch it. Um, that, that that's that's not that's not a statement. That's a that's a hope. <laughs> that, 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 so we've got to we got to treat treat them all as kind of the same people, but different as well. Uh, and <clears throat> so having Neil around was amazing. Uh, not just to have have the the author around, but, but we didn't have Terry around, so we had the book around and Neil. But we also had me saying, I just don't get that. You know, I don't get what you're trying to say there. Um, and and so Neil would open up a little bit, and we'd find it. And time will tell when everybody sees it, whether we've succeeded or not. But um, the, the, the signs are, are good at the moment from our f- the first reactions we're getting, which are, are um, you know, very promising. I'd say uh, as we speak.
0: Well, it's it's fantastic to be able to turn on any kind of social media, uh, any really kind of media, and see advertisements for something that uh, meant so much to me. You know, like I, I I didn't read it when it first came out, but it was I when I was a teenager, I traveled to India, and and the one piece of literature I carried with me uh, on that trip was Good Omens. I was reading it for the first time. And, and on that trip, I think I read re-read it like three or four times. So it's been a part of my DNA uh, for a long while. And, and to see uh, your name attached to it uh, is very exciting because, you know, there's a certain pedigree that's coming with it. So, you know, like the, uh, the the different projects you've been a part of seem to feed into it. Plus the cast is mind-boggling there's I just I just want to ask you questions about individuals and I'm not going to do that uh at this point in time certainly because you're going to get uh, enough of that in the coming weeks um
2: ask, ask what you want I don't mind I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll i shall uh, I shall edit before I speak
0: <laughs> oh okay uh well um who was there anybody on this project that you hadn't worked with before that you were extremely excited to work with
2: Oh lots uh, France has been dormant yeah you know ob- obviously uh, sh- she was amazing um Derek Jacobi um, David Morrissey <coughs> uh, lots of people I hadn't worked with Michael Sheen before so it was a it was a delight to work with Michael uh, Michael McKean uh, Adria Jack Whitehall Miranda Richardson you know they're, they're all amazing I mean at one point my first AD um, so so uh, the, the piece of paper that we all Look at when we're filming each day is called is, is a call sheet, and it basically is an instruction leaflet for the day, and it lists all the actors. And my first AD said to me one day, said so we 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 don't have a call sheet, we have a leaderboard, right. <laughs> because it's it, it such a crazy sort of group of people to have in one space: John Hamm, you know, um, and and so on, so you know, Nick Offerman. The list goes on and on. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, not bad. D- Danny Mays, you know. They, 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 most of the people that I've uh, mentioned, in fact, all of the ones I've just mentioned, uh, have led films and shows on their own. You know, um, so the, the fact that they were willing and uh, to turn up was just a, a great compliment to. I, I think it's the project. It's, it's. You know, some came. Uh, John Hamm uh, jokes that he 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 did it for for uh, for the money, but actually, John was a huge fan of the book, and he he. he bit, Neil had bumped into him somewhere and uh, didn't know him very well, but emailed him and said, hey, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get on a plane and come and do whatever, whatever you want. Nick Offerman came and did a couple of scenes with us, and, and he, he had a great line on this. He, he said, um, he came to, we filmed in South Africa, partly, and he came to South Africa for a couple of scenes, um, and uh, I, I was thanking him for that. And he, he said, I, "I would have come twice as far for half the lines." <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and what what was uh, uh, joyous about directing uh, that group of actors is, is that they all turned up with their A game. They they all turned up, no matter how smart. David Morrissey from you know Waking Dead and so on. Uh, uh, David David turned up t- to do one scene. And uh, he came in at it and just he, he just blew it out of the water. And but everybody's done that. Derek Jacobi came in for a couple of days to, to play the Metatron and was amazing. And it's it. it, it uh, there was nobody that that, uh, that that we we booked that um, turned up and didn't want to join in. There was a few people who who were doing one lines. They were a bit scared <laughs> of the group that we had. But but we all helped them. And it was a very collegiate and convivial atmosphere. I hope and. You know Neil being around was great, and uh, uh, there was no uh, we 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 basically had a rule that um we we had to agree on things before they went forward, and if one of us disagreed, then we'd had to talk it out and and we did that we we had no fights, no terrible arguments about what was right and what was wrong it was it was give and take and it was it was always to do with what's what's the best way to get good omens out there and that carried on in post production which was very, uh, you know, if, if, if being a showrunner was a uh, strange ter- territory to Neil while we were filming, I think post-production was uh, like an alien landscape to him because it's so complex and so mm. um, so concentrated uh, at, in at different times, and you're finishing something off that has been his, you know, his baby for for all these years, and we w- we were also conscious all the time about doing it for Terry Pratchett as well. Um, right. The the last credit in the whole series is for Terry. Mm. So uh, we we, we um, um I mean there's there's also we're talking about Easter eggs. There's some Terry Pratchett Easter eggs in the series as well. His hat is in the bookshop, sitting on on a, a, a hat stand. Uh, so whenever you go in the bookshop, it's just sitting there in the background. Um, we got um a, a, th- th- there's a scene that um Neil told me that he, he that Terry had written. Uh, as a, a sort of a, uh, he 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 he'd written a a, a guy who's who's a, a what do you call it a a PR guy for a, a nuclear power plant who's on the radio, and so we got uh, an amazing actor to come in and impersonate Terry uh, because Terry had written those words and was hoping to do it himself we, uh, as well. So Terry Terry's voice is in there uh, as a, as an extra little tribute. So what what. If, if there was a concern about doing good omens for all of us, that made it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, we had over two hundred speaking parts, uh, and and a, a huge crew. You know, hundreds and hundreds of crew. I think I think what we all wanted to do was not, you know, drop the ball. Really, we all wanted to put all our passion into it and just make it the greatest thing that we could, and that's what we've done. And <clears throat> the thing that I remember when we were just finishing in February. Uh, Neil and I sort of said to each other, uh, "I don't know if people are going to like this," and and, and we sort of agreed that, uh, that that we loved it and that was enough. And that if we got any more after that, then that would be good. I'm not sure Amazon would like to hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> I think they want a, they want a slightly bigger audience than Neil and me. But uh, <laughs> hey, but 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 that was kind of our attitude all the way through to do it, you know, lovingly and caringly. And that if there's another common thread hey, with the work I've been lucky enough to do with you know, Stephen Moffat and Russell and Jed Mercurio and people like that and and uh, other showrunners like Ronald Deemer and all that, they all love television and love making it and uh, it's, a, it's a thing that people don't talk about because we talk about it like it's a business too often and actually we love doing it as well and we're fans as well and that's that's why I think, you know, who, who knows how good omens will be received but some of the, uh, you know, Abominable Bride written by, by Stephen and Mark Gatiss is is. is is that good because they love Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> and it's that good because I love the show as well, and and our DOP and our costume, and everybody loves the show. Mm. So that, that's a great way to go into work, and you know, if you do that often enough, something good will come out.
0: Well, uh, I for one uh, have the day marked on my calendar uh, for for you know, like I've got nothing else going on that day except sit down. I'm I'm. Like those folks at the Edinburgh Film Festival, I'm probably gonna be watching them in three hour bursts, maybe take a short break uh, yeah. and then uh, enjoy the rest I'll
2: tell you end of episode three uh, if you're if you're watching at home, you won't be able to stop <laughs> if, if, you, well, if you if you what reach
0: four folks gonna do in the theater then
2: I don't know what they're gonna do well I, well I, we're we're having a custom crew um soon in London, and one of the things I'm going to say to them is that. If anybody hates it and wants to run out because they don't want to last the, three, the, the six hours, what I, what I want them to do is actually is actually to stomp out angrily and make a lot of noise <laughs> <laughs> because we we want to find we want to find someone that that doesn't like it at the moment, which which is sort of odd. Uh, but but no, we 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 think there's going to be. We think people are going to love it. It's just a matter the question is how many, you know, we're handing it over to millions of strangers now and, and as we speak. And that's, it's a very interesting and lovely town.
0: Well, judging from the, the billboards in New York uh, alone, I think a lot of people's interests have been piqued. Um, <laughs> considering it takes up what an entire city block. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not sorry to say, I'm happy to say there's, there's even more going up. Next week.
0: <laughs> well, you had uh, mentioned uh, on social media that this is going to be a media blitz, like the likes of which no one had ever seen before. So,
2: well, uh, Amazon are calling it a Times Square dominance next week. So, it should be interesting. Uh, and 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 we've got such a um, sort of crazy PR things that are going to be happening up in the next few weeks that. Like I know when this goes out, it, it'll all have happened, so people can tell whether if they worked or not. But there's crazy, crazy things that are just gobsmacking. I've, I've never, I've certainly, you know, even doing a show as big as Sherlock, um, I've never seen a PR campaign that's quite so uh, enthusiastic. Let's say as as this one. So that, and that's great because that, you know you, you you've got to think that Amazon are very confident with the show if because they they don't have to. Put this amount of money into the PR after it's been made. They could they could have wound it back down and you know what I mean? And and, right. and put it out quietly. Uh, but they're clearly not doing that. So, uh, that, that and Amazon, I have to say, have been amazing to work with. Uh, what an amazing team of people, uh, just enabling and supportive and uh, collaborative all the way through from beginning to end. Just wanting to get uh, our vision out as much as we do, and th- they love it as much as we do. That's it's been fascinating. You know, none of none of the, none of the um, you, you know, control levers that you'd expect. None of none of the executive producer giving notes that you don't understand and are wrong and everything, completely to do with enabling Neil and me make the show at every point. Which which uh, it's worth saying because I think the myth is different. Do you know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. the, myth, the the myth is of people fighting in rooms and storming out and everything else. And uh, I just haven't seen that on this, and I haven't seen it many many places to be honest. Most people most people these days realise that to get a good show out of Neil Gaiman you have to get a good get Neil Gaiman on your side, you know. Right. Of to get a good show out of Ronald E Moore and, and the guys at Outlander, you have to travel with them and not kind of super control them, you know. Um and, and I think it's when the source material, you know, like in some shows, uh source material and and the source authors are either ignored or put to one side, that's where the trouble starts.
0: Well, normally on this time of the show, we would ask you uh, what you want to plug. But I feel like this, <laughs> this episode is essentially – yeah. uh, You know you what? Know, if, if you like it, you should maybe go see uh, Good Omens. It's, it's yeah. uh, available on streaming at the time of this, this episode's dropping. So we have it. Um, I, I have a couple more questions before I let you go. The first off is sure. uh, where can people find you online if you want to be found?
2: Uh, I'm on <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. All right, And uh, you can find me easily on both. Simple enough. It's not not on any peculiar name or anything. It's just okay. me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no middle initial? Uh,
2: no, 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 no. no. Sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's
0: fine. It's fine. Um, So one of the things, we, while we were talking about Doctor Who, we always ask every one of our guests, but we didn't get around to doing so now, and I'm going to end it with this. But... Um, do you have a favorite doctor, and if so, why?
2: I don't even have a favorite Scottish doctor,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I couldn't. I, I, I've worked with, uh, with Matt Smith, David Tennant, and Peter Capaldi, and I, they're, they're, uh, I hope they, they, they'll understand what I mean when I say they're like my children. Really, you know, I can't really say I love one more than the other, um, and I, I, I even even uh, when we were doing the Husbands of River Song, uh, there, there was a moment where I, I I now claim that I've worked with all the doctors because there's a moment where the doctor pulls out his wallet and and uh, or River does I can't remember yeah, now River does but she shows all all the doctors so I, I'm I'm now alleging that I've worked with all the doctors apart from Jodie Whittaker uh, uh, including and in listen you know the, the 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 kid doctor of of number one uh, so I I, I just I, I can't I I couldn't bear to bring myself to say who, who my favorite one and I don't have one I, I I think they're all amazing and they all bring something different to the show which is what your children do to you you know what I mean they, they, they you, you think when you have the first one you think oh that that, that's, that one's great and, but then you have another one you think oh that, that one's great as well but in a different way but the first one is still great so that's my convoluted answer um, in terms of the
0: best answer we've had so <laughs> um, Douglas, good thank you so much for taking your time out of your incredibly busy schedule to, to join us Today. Can I say?
2: Can, can I say which episode of Doctor Who that I directed was my favorite one? I directed, though. Please do. Uh, it's uh, definitely listen. Uh, it? I, I I love that. I love doing that so much, and it was just thrilling every day to do it. And uh, I, I, I would if 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 somehow all my other episodes had to be destroyed, that's the one I'd take with me.
0: <laughs> I wasn't even going to dare to ask you that question, but Arm, um, thank you so much for. <laughs> that work. Answering it anyway, that's brilliant. Uh, that's brilliant. It's it's great to know that you you're that happy. I was going to ask you if you actually watch your own stuff because I know a lot of actors are like, oh, I, I don't dare sit and, and watch it. But do you? Oh yeah, air, no. do You you watch a, you watch your final project? Do you get a group together?
2: Oh, I, I, I well, there's two two things. I I love watching anything I've done at home as it's going out and watching Twitter react to it as well and, and Instagram and everything else. That's great fun because you get genuine. It's like a tide happens to you because um, uh, you get a genuine feeling of people engaging or not engaging um, with it. So it's a very honest reaction, I think. Even although I know it's it's the Twitter sphere, so it's it's a particular group of people. But nevertheless, it's much more than you used to get, where you know um, you were lucky if you got a, a, a paragraph review the next day, you know, <laughs> in right, one right, newspaper. Right. Uh, so 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 actually, having reaction is great fun, and you learn from it as well. You learn about storytelling a bit from it. Uh, but no, and you know, and as we speak, we're a fortnight out from Good Omens launching, and I'm about to go to I think it's eight screenings of Good Omens in the next two weeks, and this is a show I've been working on for for the last two and a half years, and I'll, I'm going to sit down and watch it every time because I watching it with real audiences is is really fascinating, um, and I'll be in the audience at the Edinburgh film festival watching all six hours as well because I, I I want to feel what the audience are feeling and. Uh, and, and if it's terrible i want to feel that and if it's great i want to feel that because i think it, it's a business where you can learn what it feels like and learn where people are getting moments of story on where they're working where they're not
0: i have nothing further to say uh I, I i'm just thankful that you could join us i'm looking forward to taking part in this experience and i really hope that you get the reaction that not so much that you want, but I, I I feel like I hope that the reaction you get is genuine and you enjoy yourself as much as I know the audience is going to enjoy themselves watching your, your newest project.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right, what a great interview. Uh, Drew, can you imagine doing that many screenings in such a short amount of time? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> no, no, I can't. And here's the thing.
0: Uh, when Peter Capaldi first when they launched his first season, I went and saw Deep Breath, I think four times in one week. I snuck an early copy uh, from the UK airing, watched that one. Then I went to a public showing uh, at one of our, our local spots and watched it with about 60 people. Then I watched it again to review it for a podcast. And then I went to the theater and I saw it. On the big Ooh. screen, and I haven't watched it since because that was just too much. <laughs> and I, I think it's. I mean, obviously, I had nothing to do with Deep Breath, but I can't imagine watching that as many times. But I think what what McKinnon is getting out of it is is the, you know, the fans' reactions. And I, I think it would be really cool to see what I could only assume is that much appreciation for something you have worked so hard and dedicated two years of your life to. So. You know,
1: good on him. That's what I was gonna say. If I worked that hard and long on something, I would, I would probably want to watch the finished product a lot too, especially with an audience to get their real reactions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and
0: um, you know, he's gonna be getting it from various audiences, and and the reactions will probably be different. He'll he'll you know, I'm sure some people react to certain parts of the episode in, in different ways. So or episodes. Um, yeah. six hours. Six hours in a theater for the uh, the festival is uh, wow. That's amazing. Three hours in, three hours. Like <laughs> I'm, I, you know, having just come back from Endgame, I like, three hours was a bit for me, but uh, you
1: know, good on him. I think that would be really cool. Uh, and also, speaking of watching something a bunch of times, another thing that stood out was that he went to see E.T. thirteen times in four days, which. That rivals me going to see Beverly Hills Cop five times at the theater. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's my record. My record is 12. Um, wow.
0: I, f- I, <laughs> I, I saw Army of Darkness uh, I, 12 times over a, probably a one-month period uh, when it was first released. But I also didn't have to pay for movie tickets at the time. And uh, it's, a, it's, you know, really good. Uh, have we ever talked about E.T. on this podcast? I don't think so. That movie messed me up. The entire time he's talking about how much he loves this film. And all I can think about is it terrified me as a child. Obviously, he saw it when he was much, much older than me. Um, uh, I am obviously much younger than him. But, yeah, I that movie gave me nightmares and even though I was a part of that zeitgeist where everyone loved ET and I mm-hmm. was excited by it, uh, it when the evenings came for years I couldn't look out the window of my bedroom without imagining ET in the cornfield screaming and it still to this day gives me like the <laughs> shivers uh, but to be inspired that much by a film uh, I, you know kudos to him
1: yeah so. I was uh, 10 years old when I went to see it I went to see it with my cousin. And I remember this is the first film I ever cried in. I was ten years old. And I think they they re released it two years later. We went back again to see it because that was very, very early days of VHS and we didn't have a recorder yet, so mm-hmm. the only way to re see something is, is to uh or to re watch something is to watch it on the big screen or wait till it comes to television. Yeah. I may have seen it and I'm thinking now,
0: I may have seen it on the the re-release, cause I would have only been about five years old when it came out, but yeah, it uh, either way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it messed, it messed me
1: up. Good. Uh, another thing that stood out in the interview is he asked you if you would go to the cinema to see Dr. Who every week with an audience. Um, we actually do that here in Raleigh every Sunday night with the walking dead. Um, I don't, but, but we have a theater in Raleigh mission Valley that does that. And, um, it's free, of course, because I don't think they charge for that. But they have the lobby all decked out. There's a big crowd that goes for every new episode. So if they did that for Doctor Who, I would definitely do that. Would you?
0: Absolutely. No, I would love to. And one of the things, um, one of the things that I love about Doctor Who is watching it with a the crowd. There was a a coffee shop here in Greensboro that that played it. Um, the only thing that I wouldn't be thrilled about is that The Walking Dead is made in America and it's designed to be viewed in America. So there are actual, like the, the, the film has commercial breaks. Like they know for the pacing wise, when Mm -hmm. it's time to hit a commercial and it will like fade up, fade in. Doctor Who is not designed for commercial breaks. And it always feels like um, the, they always choose the worst moments. You know, it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's just completely unnatural when, when they decide to, and then suddenly it cuts I don't enjoy that. And so I stopped going to live shows of it and stopped watching it on BBC America and instead just bought the subscription via iTunes so that the next morning I could get up and I could watch it the way that uh, it's seen in the UK. Yeah, that's uh, the way I did too. Yeah. I find that commercials really uh, yuck my yum, you know? I like I just <laughs> I don't I don't dig it at all. Um,
1: <clears throat> but
0: I do miss the fan reactions. I, I, I have some of my favorite moments, uh, memories of Doctor Who are going to see like the 50th anniversary um, with, with crowds of people. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would absolutely do that. And I would, I would certainly support a community that did that as well. Cool, yeah. And it was great to have a director on here finally. Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you, this is possibly the most, one of the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Um, not necessarily because it was Douglas McKinnon, but because uh, obviously and we, we mentioned this in the intro, you were unable to join me. So that was a bummer and we thought about potentially canceling it and, and trying to reschedule it. but he made it very clear we had a one hour window to talk with him, and if we didn't get in on this hour, it was probably going to be three or four months before you know this the hullabaloo over good omens. Once it got mm-hmm. started, he was going to be busy. And, of course, you know, absolutely we respect him um, and his his schedule. So we kind of had to go forward. But um, uh, I, I think I've made it pretty well known that I am just garbage when it comes to technology. I'm, I am <laughs> absolutely useless. And so I had – he didn't have a way of recording the audio on his end and I had to download a program, and I've got a real sketchy laptop at the moment. And this program wasn't working. We you you were so helpful. We tried to get it to work, and it got to eleven like eleven o'clock, like the time we were going to interview him. And I got on, on him on Skype, and I said, "Listen, uh, I don't have this working. Can you give me ten more minutes? And if we don't, if we can't get it done in ten minutes, we'll we'll just skip it for." For a couple of months and he's like alright I'll give you 10 minutes and by golly I got that thing working um, <laughs> uh, minus the the static in the, the very beginning where it, it cuts out um, the first question or two and then the, my introduction but uh, yeah I went through that entire interview and when I was done I felt like I had jogged a marathon my hands were shaking <laughs> and I was like sweating because it was like gotta get this right gotta get this right gotta get this right gotta get this right but it did, it worked, and it was really good um, I mean, I, I, I'm super bummed that you didn't get a chance to to join me in that, and it just didn't feel the same, but uh, I, I'm very happy that it, it
1: did, we managed to pull it off so yeah, and uh, again, thank you to Douglas McKinnon for being on the show, and listeners, please watch Good Omens this week on Amazon Prime, and keep an eye out for all of those Easter eggs absolutely,
0: oh, I'm so ex- dude, I'm so excited Uh, And
1: you know I'm going to be watching it (laughs) Even
0: as you're listening to this And speaking of listening uh, Don't forget to listen to the Doctor Who podcast Episode 294 Featuring um, a couple of people you might know So there you go That should be out That should be out now So thank you for joining us on Who and Company Who and Company, come for the fandom
1: Stay for the company
0: Thanks for joining us at Who and Company special shout out to pixel who for providing our logo they can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who and company can be found on iheartradio.com and spotify or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com contact us on twitter at whoandcompany support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com thanks and see you next month